Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Good Saturday morning to you, Bill, and uh, good Saturday to you, Bill, and happy Father's Day Eve, I guess I should say to you. Well, Jason, and, and, and uh, truthfully, it's back to you, buddy. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. You got big plans? Yeah, for somewhat you? self-serving for us to yeah. Yeah, don't forget Father's Day. It's a very important day in the life of, of a family. Uh, <laughs> you got big plans for tomorrow? No. Uh, no. Uh, well, other than being with family, and right. that's very special, and we're just uh, very appreciative that everybody can be together. That's uh, pretty nice. That is very nice. We don't get that all, all the time. No, you don't, but that's course, always a great opportunity. You don't have that problem at this point because, you know, you still have a little one at home. Um, so, uh, but once you're an empty nester and the <laughs> children are out of the house and that sort of thing, then when they come back home, it can be pretty special. Well, I, uh, I'm enjoying what I have now, and we'll we'll get to that point when we do. But for now, <laughs> you have a long way yeah, to go. I do have a very long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, we're going to get into some issues that pretty much affect everyone, and I, I can't think of two things that uh, maybe hit the pocketbook or come to the forefront with, with people for expenses, and mm -hmm. those are vehicles and homes. Well, exactly. And, um, you know, uh, this show is about asset protection, and so um, uh, vehicles uh, and homes, but uh, let's start with vehicles because that is a key uh, part of our economy, and it's also a, a big part of risk. Um, I also, of course, it being Father's Day, I might, uh, uh, I understand there's a new Rolls-Royce uh, dealership in town. and <laughs> <You're> <laughs> Dropping some hints. So all, all those families can go out there and buy their new Rolls-Royce for their dad. Uh, uh, but <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the, um, uh, the, well, and of course, most of my clients are retired. I have a lot of clients who are not. But the the key as it relates to asset protection is the fact that your vehicle and you driving your vehicle is truly, without question, the riskiest thing people do. In other words, there's greater risk, there's greater liability in terms of driving your automobile um, than anything else. Now, there are a few professionals out there who might uh, be in the same category with risk, such as a surgeon or something, you know, a very risky occupation. Uh, but um, truthfully, driving your automobile, uh, from my perspective, has an even greater risk than being a surgeon. And so uh, it's, it's an important topic in terms of uh, what you do. And so obviously I'm, I'm not in the business of trying to help you pick out a vehicle. <laughs> well, you already mentioned Rolls-Royce. Uh, of course, but that was self-serving. <laughs> but, um, but, but it is... Uh, I mean, th there are a lot of things. Um, it's like anything else. Uh, when it comes to a vehicle, doing your research uh, can be extremely helpful to you. But the, the thing 
um, that a lot of folks don't realize. And I think I, I heard an advertisement about at, at some point or a point that was made that I thought was extraordinarily relevant. And that is people need to do their research on their insurance as well as the vehicle. And of course, I was thinking of it in a different light than what the advertisement was. But And there are a couple things to think about when it comes to that. Number one, the vehicle you pick has a lot to do with how much the insurance costs. Um, you know, certain certain vehicles are much, much more expensive to insure than other vehicles. And it's um, um, not necessarily based on the price of the vehicle. Obviously, the pricier the vehicle, the more expensive the insurance would normally be, uh, particularly if, if you have to buy uh, coverage on replacing uh, the vehicle. Uh, but also, certain vehicles are a higher risk. I mean, like, for instance, sports cars are more expensive to insure than a sedan, if you will. So, you know, those are the kind of thing. And, and of course, when you're looking at affordability, then how much your insurance cost is just as important as how much is the payment for, for the car. So those are things that people really need to look at before um, – they really go to the to the dealership, or or actually, however they want to buy their car, but because uh, there's so many different ways of doing it. But when you're talking about asset protection, uh, your liability insurance is the key piece in terms of protecting your assets, uh, and also. The, but there's some other legal pieces to it uh, that go with owning a vehicle or how to own a vehicle and what the liability coverage is and the like. So where do you start? Okay, you've picked out your vehicle, you know, and you've purchased it. So how? what name do you put it in? Well, the first thing uh, to recognize uh, as it now I'm talking legal here, as it relates to your insurance and your liability and your asset protection, you're far better off not owning your vehicle jointly. In other words, with, and, and t I mean, typically, um, uh, and I'm not going to ask you how you own, you and your wife own your vehicles, but it's very, very common. In fact, more common than not, that a married couple will own a vehicle together jointly. In other words, husband and wife's name will be on the title. Well, I'm just telling you from an asset protection perspective, that's not a good thing. Uh, truthfully, um, the, the best way to own a vehicle is for the principal driver, the person who's going to drive the car, you know, 90% of the time, that's the person, that's the name that the title should be in, and it should not be joint. Now, another little secret is if you're going to own it jointly no matter what. <laughs> Let's say you have one vehicle and both of you are going to drive it a lot. Then, um, it, it, particularly with husband and wife, but and a lot of folks don't realize this, but you can own a vehicle joint with right of survivorship. 
But if you do it like 99% of the folks do it and just have both names on the title, it's not with right of survivorship. So if someone dies, you got to get the decedent's name off the title. That's problematic for a lot of families. And, you know, it's the kind of, and I've seen this happen um, often where a, a car was in both names and let's say dad died. Well, Mom doesn't understand that she's got to get dad's name off the title because nobody's coming after her. She can still pay her insurance premium and she'll still pay her taxes on the car and still drive it. And without any, I mean, there's no hiccup. Nobody has said anything about it. Um, But the problem is if she goes to sell it, she can't until dad's name's off the title. You see, so that's problematic. Now, what I see oftentimes is then mom dies and the car's in both names. So guess what? The kids have to do in order to sell the car. They have to open up two estates. They have to open mom's estate and dad's estate in order to be able to get the car out of both names and then to be able to sell the car. So that's not a good thing. Now, now, why is the principal driver the one who, who should own the car? Well, you have more insurance protection for your family if that's the case through your insurance policy. So now let's talk about your insurance. Now, the good news when you don't have to compare insurance from one company to the next because in North Carolina – all the policies and all of the definitions and all of the coverages are exactly the same. Now, you get to pick and choose which coverages you want, but the terms of the policy are the same from company to company. So the the insurance companies are competing basically on price and service that they uh, give their customers. They're not competing on differences in the insurance policy. And that's and that's the same for home uh, insurance as well. But it's very important for folks to know that the com- you're not competing against different policy terms. You're basically competing on if you uh, pick what terms you want in that policy, you can com- you're going to have the same terms in other policies. And the, and the only thing you're really comparing at that point is how good is the service or the reputation of that company And what's the price? You know, what are the price points? And, of course, another little secret that the insurance companies don't want you to know is – and the reason that they all advertise that they're all less expensive than the other (laughs) is because uh, when you switch policies, you you get um, a discount, a huge discount, which normally saves you five or six hundred dollars. But guess what? The insurance companies know that we don't – like to go back and revisit our decisions because it's a it's a pain uh, for us to do so when it's easier just to write the check uh, each six months uh, to the insurance company. So the bottom line is, if you want the lowest possible price, then you need to switch insurance companies every several years uh, because. The first year, you get a deep discount, and then the premiums creep up uh, over time. So, you know, the, you know, switch, you know, switching, most of us don't. 
But the bottom line is if you want and you need the cheapest price you can get, then you truthfully have to switch policies every every three years, every third year, really. So that's just important for folks to know. Now, what about those terms inside the insurance? Uh, that's really important, too. And do we need to take a break, or can I keep on going? Let's take a break here, and we'll, we'll get to those terms in just a second. Hang on. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Stick around. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking, as the uh, title of the show would suggest, about asset protection and in particular with vehicles. And Bill, we were on the subject of insurance, and you uh, you got very fired up about insurance terms before we uh, had Absolutely. to take a break there. Okay, so what's important? The, the most important thing is how much liability protection that you get in your policy. Now, you have to understand that you should get the most liability protection that you can afford. That is the key. Um, and, and truthfully, you, you uh, uh, for those uh, folks who are doing pretty good, you should have the maximum liability protection that you can possibly get. Now, uh, I may be mistaken on this, but I think the max policy is a 300-500 policy, okay, for liability. And that basically means if you're at fault in an accident uh, or a collision, that uh, the bottom line is your uh, uh, insurance will pay up to $500,000 on uh, the claim for everything. Um, you have a, a basically a policy that covers the damage that you do to the, the other person's vehicle if you're at fault, and then for personal injury as, as well. And um, why do you need that much insurance? Well, the bottom line is just think about those Rolls Royces rolling down the road, but it doesn't have to be a Rolls anymore. It can be Think of any nice car. How many cars today cost, or trucks? I mean, do you know of a, a, a big truck that costs less than $50,000? I no. mean, the bottom line is vehicles are really expensive. And there are a ton of cars rolling down the road that are $50,000, $75,000, $100,000, dollars vehicles. You run into one of those, and you're talking about a bunch of, of liability, not including the personal injury. Well, guess what? If you're, you hit one of those vehicles, the person inside the vehicle probably has a real important job and makes lots of money, and you might have just kept them from making a bunch of money that you're going to be liable for, or you've injured them very badly. And so... Now, here's the other reason that's so important. Uh, how much protection you buy for others, the liability, protects you as well because you have what's called underinsured and uninsured motorists. Well, here's the scary part. 
probably 10% of the folks, even though North Carolina has a very strong law that says if you drive a car on roads in North Carolina, you must have liability protection. But it doesn't say how much. So, But the bottom line is there's probably 10% of the folks on the road have no coverage at all. And so they are uninsured. But probably 50% of the motorists are underinsured. In other words, they have minimum coverages, which means if they run into you and they're at fault, they don't have enough insurance coverage to fix your car and pay for your hospital stay. So who pays for that? Well, if you have a really good policy, your policy pays the difference. It pays whatever it takes up to the limits of your policy. So that part's really important, too. Now, I would also say that anyone who's doing well should also have umbrella coverage. Now, to have umbrella coverage, you have to have your car insurance and your home insurance with the same company, same insurance company, uh, and then you buy umbrella coverage that increases your liability protection on all of your properties, your vehicles, as well as your home as well. And so uh, typically with umbrella, you will have a million or two or three or four or five million dollars of additional coverage. And uh, most people who are doing really well, in my opinion, should have $2 million of umbrella coverage and no less than a million. Now, once you get over two, you might be going too far. But umbrella coverage is uh, uh, fairly inexpensive. And so in terms of giving you that asset protection, it's really important. Now, uh, uh, why have your car in one person's name? Well, it's under North Carolina, now you have to understand, these rules vary from state to state. But in North Carolina, if uh, you're in a one-car accident and your spouse is in the vehicle with you, if let's say that you run off the road, you run into a tree, and your spouse, who is a passenger in the vehicle, is injured, seriously injured, well, here's the thing. If the car is in my name alone and I run into the tree and my wife is injured, she can actually collect for her injuries on our insurance policy because my car and her car are under the same policy, but my car's in my name, her car's in her name. So the bottom line is she can actually collect on our insurance policy for my negligence in running into the tree. Now, here's the rub. If her name was on the title with mine, she could not collect uh, against me because in North Carolina, the rule is that if her name's on the title, she controls my driving, you know, uh, now. Is that, a, is that true? Does she actually control my driving or do I control her driving? We both know that's silly, okay? But the bottom line is that's the rule of law in North Carolina. So in essence, if her name's on my title, she can't collect. If her name's not on my title and I'm the one who's negligent, then uh, she can in fact collect. And so that's really important. Now, there's one other piece that a lot of folks don't know about in their car insurance when it comes to accidents and injuries and the like. 
And I recommend the maximum amount of the provision called med pay or medical payments. Why? Well, it's um, – and a lot of the insurance agents don't recommend it because it does add a few dollars to the premium, and they're trying to prove to you how cheap their insurance is. This is just the cheapest medical insurance you can buy is med pay in your automobile policy because guess where it's more likely that you will be injured than any other place in your vehicle. So – the maximum med pay, to the best of my knowledge, is $25,000. But what does it pay for? Now, med pay is almost like, you know, AFLAC. In term, it's not that. But most of us will have medical insurance, okay? So whether we're at fault or not, if we go to the hospital, our medical insurance will pay. Also, if somebody else is at fault – they will pay, and they'll pay for all the damages, including our medicals. And so the bottom line is if we've had medical insurance, pay 80% of it, and then the other driver pays us 100% of what our medicals were to reimburse us for that, not including the personal injury part, then uh, basically all that money we keep because we were insured on the medicals. Now, that's not true for seniors because Medicare screws us. They require us to pay Medicare back 100% in terms of whatever Medicare has paid for our personal injury, for our medical care in an accident, which I think that's a screw job, actually, but that's that's what it is. Now, what does MedPay pay under all those circumstances? It will pay us. It will also pay for, our, for the other folks in the car up to the maximum of our medicals. So if I have $25,000 coverage and I go to the hospital, what's the likelihood that the hospital bill would be less than $25,000? Well, not a whole lot anymore. So I have my health insurance coverage that pays. The other person was at fault, so they pay us back. But the med pay helps us out a bit because they'll write us a check for $25,000. Uh, because we had $25,000 of medical expenses. Well, to me, that is really important and extremely helpful to help people get back on their feet when they get that extra money for the medicals. And because uh, sometimes your health insurance doesn't pay for everything, and sometimes the other folks aren't at fault, and so that med pay can make up the difference for what your medical insurance doesn't pay as well. So all of that can be really important in terms of your pocketbook and how that uh, makes a difference. And I've seen lots of policies where the insurance agent has only put in a thousand or two thousand or three or four or five thousand dollars of med pay when for a few dollars more you could have the twenty five thousand dollars of med pay. So it's very, very cheap uh, medical insurance and it's like it's a no brainer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people, with for them, it's you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know what that part of your policy does, then maybe you leave it off. But well, and see, that's the other thing. A lot of folks are in accidents, and they never claim their med pay because they, they don't know what it does, and so they don't actually make a claim for it. And guess what? If you don't make a claim, they, insurance companies typically don't pay. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
uh, make those claims. That's right. That's good mm-hmm. advice. Well, we're going to continue our conversation here in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. And we're talking all about asset protection today, as you can guess. And we're talking about two of the biggest assets that you could have. And Bill, we spent a lot of time talking about vehicles. And let's move over to usually the biggest asset. And that's, that's your home. Exactly. Uh, and and the reason I want to talk about homes is not – I'm not a realtor. I'm not trying to say, um, you, you know, do this or do that. But I get questions all the time from seniors relating to should I sell my home and move into a different arrangement or buy a different kind of house or change neighborhoods or – uh, downsize uh, because I don't need this big house anymore, you know, and the expenses that go with the big house. And so uh, it, uh, what I really want to talk about, uh, for the most part, uh, um, it is housing transitions. And there are a lot of reasons for transition. Age is one. It, you know, uh, following the grandkids are another. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't – you'd be surprised at how many grandparents – move from a, a location to where, not where their children are, but where their grandchildren are, so they can spoil them. And so the question is, where do they move, and how do they move, and what kind of housing should they be looking for, and things like that. Well, th- this week I had a wonderful consult uh, with a young lady uh, who was a very young 80-year-old um, single. And she, you know, in terms of her spirit and her personality and her health, she could have been 60. <laughs> but wonderful lady. And she described herself as a, uh, a New York liberal Jew lady. <laughs> now, that's her description, okay? And she was just, she was just fun. But the bottom line was uh, she had moved here from New York uh, through, actually, uh, through New Jersey um, and then ended up here. Uh, and, um, uh, but she sold her home. And when she moved here, she moved into an independent living community. And uh, truthfully, she was happy with that decision. Uh, but the bottom line is she chose not to buy a home. She could certainly have afforded to purchase a home. But instead, she chose to move into a community. Um, now, truthfully, she's a young lady. She may live another 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, it's not like she had one foot in the grave or anything like that. But being in an independent community means a couple things. Number one, she was not she could afford it and that's important. Some folks actually cannot afford the monthly fees. Uh, but but we also have a lot of options in this area as it relates to those. 
and some are twice as expensive as others. Uh, uh, and all almost, almost all of them are, are nice. It's just a matter of what level of nice uh, you're you're looking for. Uh, and my brother's in one, uh, and his price uh, each month is very modest, in my opinion, for what he gets. And he gets an awful lot for his money. So I'm very appreciative of places like that. But it gives a senior a safe environment. It gives them people around them, and they can be as private or as social as they want. It gives them a lot of socialization, and it makes life a whole lot easier because they don't have to worry about much food preparation. They don't have to worry about cleaning the bathroom or making the bed or uh, having uh, fresh linens uh, and towels uh, or, or those kinds of things. They don't have to worry about yard work anymore. Those those are important things, but – uh, I do think it is helpful for folks who particularly uh, who are in their mid to late 70s or early 80s that it's an appropriate choice, uh, not for everybody, but certainly for an awful lot of folks, it's an appropriate choice. And for those folks who are single, it really is a helpful choice to make. But let's say that you're not ready for that. What are some of the other issues involved in, in a home? Well, truthfully, the first thing, if you're not moving from, like, for instance, if you're not moving from New York or Ohio to come to North Carolina. Now, of course, if you move to North Carolina, it's a wonderful place to live, so you know you want to stay here the rest of your life, uh, although – just had another family who said, yes, we're here. We love it here, but we're going to move to Hawaii. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, hard to argue. But they had a really good reason because they have a child with a lot of allergies, and, and basically the, they don't, the child doesn't have those allergies in, in Hawaii. So they're going to move there primarily for the child. So, okay, I get it. Not a bad choice. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, there are an awful lot of folks that go from New York or Ohio or pick, pick anything that – any place that's cold, and they move to Florida of all places. Well, half the folks that move to Florida actually don't like it. Uh, it's just too hot. So what do they do? They decide to move to North Carolina. And so they, in other words, move halfway back – to where they came from, we call those folks halfbacks, affectionately, of course. Um, but the bottom line is they find that we have a very mild uh, uh, weather in North Carolina. We have four seasons, which they're accustomed to, very short winters, which are pretty nice. Um, so a lot of folks just really like North Carolina. Plus, we have beaches and mountains and uh you know, a pretty nice lifestyle here. So it, it's very accommodating. But, okay, so if you were going to move to Florida, should you just sell your house in Ohio and buy your home in Florida? Well, probably not unless you've spent a lot of time in Florida in the summertime <laughs> at its hottest, at its worst, knowing uh, that this is really where you want to spend all of your time. And the fact of the matter is, is that renting for a year or more uh, when you're going to a new place is not a terrible idea 
because and and it also gives you the advantage of being able to peruse the market if you decide you really like it and you want to stay forever uh, then it allows you to um, uh, you know basically know and understand the areas where you might want to live better uh, if you rent for a year first so renting is never a bad option um, now should you actually go and buy and not just rent um, that sort of thing well it really depends on your age and if you're going to buy you really should have at, you know 10 years of life expectancy or more where you're expecting to live in that house at least 10 years because truthfully selling a house and buying another house is an expensive proposition even if you're just going to move across the street uh, that sometimes depending on age uh, and health you're far better off staying put you know if you like your community uh, you like your neighbors. Um, you know you you've been in a community for fifty years. You have your church. You have everything established, and you really enjoy it. Truthfully, downsizing uh, may not be in your best interest. Uh, now, if you if your house doesn't accommodate aging in place, in other words, you don't have a downstairs bedroom, or you have a lot of steps. Uh, uh, to get into the house or around the house, you know, those kinds of things. Because you can it's, – it's sometimes cheaper to have a, a person uh, do your yard for you and clean your house and do the things that you don't want to do anymore um, than to pay the, um, the big costs of moving. A lot of folks don't think about it, but if you downsize, oftentimes it means you have to not just decorate your new house, you know, new draperies, new um, curtains and new shutters and all that good stuff, but oftentimes your old furniture doesn't fit into a new house because guess what? You downsized. The rooms are smaller and your furniture is bigger. So you end up having to buy a bunch of new furniture in order to fit your new lifestyle. And so that just makes it that much more expensive. And so those kinds of things are really important. And I know we have to take a break. So there's some other considerations because a lot of folks like condominiums, you know, things like that when they uh, buy into a new new place. And so we want to talk about some of those things uh, when we come back. We'll do just that because there's, as you said, a lot more that goes into these decisions. And we'll cover those right when we come back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. To Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we are talking all about asset protection, and we have been talking about the two biggest assets that most people have, and those are vehicles and homes. And Bill, we were 
in, knee deep in the conversation about uh, maybe the, the hidden costs of downsizing that folks uh, often don't take into account. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, we, we went over some, but there's a lot more to cover. Well, there is. Uh, uh, let's just take another example. Uh, let's say that you're uh, seniors and uh, you've lost your spouses and you remarry and both the husband and wife own a home. They're both paid for it. So it's sort of like, okay, which house should we live in? Well, it's not unusual that one house might be nicer than the other house, but that's not necessarily the choice you should make because if you're older to begin with, then you really should pick the house that's the better house to age in place. Uh, now, so what does that mean? Um, that means it might be the house that has the downstairs masters with no steps or very few steps. It might mean that it's the house in the better neighborhood, one that's close to, the, you know, has good uh, sidewalks and places to walk and restaurants nearby. Uh, you know, those because the truth is you can upgrade a house, but you can't upgrade the neighborhood normally. Uh, So the neighborhood where the house is located uh, and the amenities that the neighborhood offers should be a big factor in which house you choose to live in. Uh, That can be a, a big deal. Uh, but it's typically, what's the neighborhood? What's the better house to age in place? It may be that you need to sell both houses. I mean, it just depends on a lot of other factors. But typically, when you when there are two people that own their homes, it's going to be one house or the other. So it's like, which one will better suit both of you uh, as you age in place? So now, what about what happens frequently is that instead of buying a house, people decide to buy a condo, all right? So obviously for seniors, uh, a condominium that doesn't have a bunch of steps, you know, aging in place is the other uh, key thing. Some condos have elevators and very few steps, and um, but is a townhouse a good choice for uh, seniors, and the answer is duh, no. Because <laughs> guess what? Townhouses have a bunch of steps, and as you get older, steps become difficult. Now, steps can be helpful to help keep you healthy, but at some point, uh, you know, it, it may not work that way very well. Um, so, uh, picking a house that or a condo that will work, but. Before you decide that, oh, this is a beautiful place, this is where I want to live, you need to do your homework. And this is true whether it's a regular condominium in the community or whether it's a, um, um, a senior, you know, o- over 55-type development. Uh, and it works both ways. Number one, um, obviously uh, – you would not want to purchase unless this was a long-term commitment. And by long-term, I'm thinking 10 years plus um, because that's, you know, you need 10 years really to get your money out uh, of the property to begin with. So what do you look for? Well, number one, if it's a brand-new community, it that has a pro and it has a big con. The pro is that you get a nice new place, you know, brand new. 
But the bad news is that if um, you will have great difficulty selling it because it might be five years before the developer actually completes all of the units where uh, someone other than the developer owns the units. Well, if they're still developing, your ability to compete with brand new units uh, at the same price is, is minimal. So you're, you're going to take a hit in terms of selling that or your family selling it um, if you're not there and they're still building out units. So that's one thing to look at. The other thing to look at is the strength of the condominium association. So guess what? Before you buy in, you better be looking at do they have uh, – who, who controls the board? Uh, is the developer still involved in the board or do the homeowners? Are most of the units owned by uh, the homeowners? The, a big issue is do the rules prohibit you from renting your unit? And there are a bunch of them that do because the people want it to be owned. Well, if you can't rent and you can't sell – that could be a huge hit to, to your family um, because you still have the bills to pay. You have the condominium association dues. You have the taxes. You have the insurance. So it's a big deal. The other thing to look at is, is the uh, funds of the association well-funded? And do they have a big um, maintenance or, uh, or capital expenses coming up? Are they going to have to re-roof? Are, they, are there some issues? And so looking through the minutes to see what the board is doing and what issues are present – uh, you know, it might be that the swimming pool ha- has a crack in it and it's gonna, they're going to have to replace it or whatever it is. You can find that out by reading the minutes and seeing what the finances of the association are. And you just you can't just assume that everything's going to be okay because oftentimes they're not well managed and oftentimes uh, they let capital uh, needs go because they don't have the money and they don't want to raise the rents and then all of a sudden they have to assess everyone uh, a large amount of money that and if you can't afford it that's bad plus you need to assume that the condominium association dues will increase over time so you got to be able to afford that as well as any other expenses uh, in the condo as well so there are a lot of issues uh, that uh, go into purchasing uh, a condominium as well so obviously having uh, a realtor who understands these things and can get that information for you uh, is helpful um, you, you know, sometimes it's good to have professional advice uh, before you just jump in with both feet thinking you can save money by not having a professional help you. And so uh, that's um, – it's really helpful to have someone who knows the neighborhoods and knows uh, what's going on uh, to be assisting you in your efforts when it comes to major financial decisions like us buying or selling uh, a home. Yeah, it's, it's key to do your research and to get those uh, experts who can help you out because, as you said, you could be in for a, a very big and bad surprise if you don't take the time to do that. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here with Bill. And Bill, you have a, a parting shot for us before we head out. Yeah, today. it has nothing to do with vehicles or houses, but a court decision was rendered recently in the U.S. Court of uh, Appeals, and it's really important. Basically, the holding of the case was that the Department of Labor did not have the authority to create the fiduciary rule. Which Now, the fiduciary rule basically means your financial advisor for retirement accounts uh, must do what's in your best interest. Well, the fiduciary rule is no longer. So that basically means that your financial advisor does not have to do what is in your best interest. It just has to be an appropriate investment. Now, the the companies uh, at this point haven't they've all complied with the fiduciary rules but they're go- they will go back to the other standard um, and so uh, this is something that as investors we all need to know about because it's extremely important now lawyers are always under the fiduciary rule i mean it's a mantra do what's in your best interest of your clients but that doesn't apply to financial advisors and um, even so, the bottom line is that's going to be a changing ground for folks. Um, I like the fiduciary rule, but it's not in place anymore. That's important information to know. I want to remind everyone that you can catch Bill tomorrow morning on the CW22 at 8 a.m. with Money Secrets, and he's got a book out by the same name that you can purchase off of Amazon. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll hope you'll do it again next week. You've been listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.